to another episode of My Cancer Story Podcast. Thank you again for joining me. We have another interview this week. Brand new interview, brand new story. Today you're going to meet Eileen Powers. She's an artist. She is a photographer and also is part of a collaborative art project called Can You Make Hair For Me? And in 2018, she was diagnosed with an aggressive form of lymphoma. Since then, she's been sharing her story and her amazing message using her own head as a canvas. I really look forward to you hearing uh, Eileen tell her story. She is just an amazing human being, an amazing soul. Also, uh, she just has so much to teach you about cancer, the language behind cancer, and to really learn how to express yourself even during times of struggle, and trauma. So here we go. I look forward to listening to this episode with Eileen Powers. And please stay tuned. At the end of the episode, I will provide information on how to find her and the projects that she's working on. Enjoy. Well, thank you for being here. Um, Welcome to my Cancer Story podcast. Uh, We have Eileen Powers, and um, you found me through Caroline Rose's interview, right? I did, yes. Okay, okay. <laughs> so you also are um, a survivor of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma? I am, yes. And um, you are the, I guess, the owner and creator of both uh, Eileen Powers Foot Photography, and then also Can You Make Hair For Me? Yes, so, so Can You Make Hair For Me is a collaborative art project. Okay. And I invite people okay. to make hair for me. I love it. Oh, so I'm, I'm, really, I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. But um, once again, thank you for, for being on the podcast. And um, I, you know, I, I'll just kind of um, pass it on over to you just to give me, uh, give the listeners a, um, a background of, of your, your cancer diagnosis and your cancer story. So I'll just kind of let you take it away from here. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so really happy. excited to be here. Yeah. So in 2018, I was um, diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and specifically diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, which is an aggressive form of lymphoma. And I spent about the first three or four months um, being misdiagnosed. And I I don't know how common this is for other people, but... I now urge people to always get a second opinion, but I had an oncologist review, you know, give me the tests and review everything. And I had a routine colonoscopy and that's how they found my lymphoma. So oh, that's yeah. Yeah. And as it turned out, I had a different form of lymphoma entirely from what was initially diagnosed and from the initial pathology. So it was kind of tricky. I think with lymphoma, there's lots of different kinds. And it could be that um, my lymphoma was sort of, I had two kinds of lymphoma at the same time. That's, that's what my oncologist now thinks. I should say that. Okay. And, and my initial diagnosis was for follicular lymphoma, which is very slow growing and often isn't treated right away. Okay. In fact, it's more of a watch and wait situation. But at the same time that that was diagnosed, we found out that I, I started to get very sick. So I should say that. So the first thing that happened is Weeks after I was diagnosed, I started to become very ill and I was in a lot of pain. And for anyone who's had lymphoma, I think, you know, that it's extremely painful and different parts of your body. I had it mostly in my abdomen. I could, I could feel hard. 
you know, ridges underneath like my, my breastbone and, and in my abdomen. And it was growing very, very quickly. And during the fall of 2018, I ended up in the emergency room a couple of times and an astute radiologist, you know, said to me, you know, do you think you have more than one kind of cancer? And I said, not that I know of. Mm-hmm. And at the time I was, you know, I, they had given me painkillers. So I, I really wasn't listening to what he was saying. And it wasn't until a few weeks later that it, I, you know, was kind of back to normal. And I realized, you know, that there's something wrong here. And a friend of mine had multiple, has multiple myeloma. And she came to visit me and she saw how much pain I was in and how sick I was and how I couldn't eat anything. I was rapidly losing weight. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of fatigue. I couldn't, but I couldn't sleep even though I was, I was, I was fatigued. And mm-hmm. most foods that I ate made me very, very sick. And she said, I'm going to find you another oncologist. And in about a day and a half, she had gone back to her team at Massachusetts General Hospital and found me an oncologist. And as happens in the United States, I didn't have the right insurance to go to the oncologist that she found. (laughs) So I spent the next like three weeks, you know, being ill, still trying to work and trying to figure out my insurance. And by the end of November, um, in 2018, I had new insurance, I had a new oncologist, and I didn't, wasn't able to get an appointment until about mid-December. So I went from Labor Day of 2018 until mid-December in, in, in excruciating pain, not really knowing what was happening. And with you know, my oncologist, my first oncologist telling me that it was all in my head. And when I finally got to my new oncologist and I got to see him, Dr. Barnes, you know, he said to me, you know, I believe you. I believe that you're in pain and I don't agree with the pathology reports and we're going to give you a whole new set of tests. And I also see in your record that both your GP and your oncologist wrote that they think that this pain is all in your head. And he's like, I'm here to tell you that it's not. Oh my God. What and a one of the relief. Things, yes. And one of the things he says, said to me, is, he's very jovial, my oncologist. And, and he said to me, he, he says, congratulations, your lymphoma's worse. And you know why that's good? Because we can treat you. Oh my gosh. So from that point, uh, after I got, I had new CAT scans, I had another biopsy, all of that. And in January of 2019, I started my first series of chemotherapy treatments, which were all um, inpatient to start with. So I was inpatient for five days, uh, and there were six rounds of those. So that continued until about May, but smack in the middle of it, uh, what happened was the chemotherapy was working uh, on my tumors. And because of that, my... um, you know, small intestine was sort of floating around in there and it got wrapped around some of the tumors. And I ended up having to have emergency surgery to remove all of those tumors. They were shrinking. So everything was sort of moving. And, and so on Valentine's day of 2019, I ended up, you know, having major abdominal surgery. So not only was I having chemotherapy at that time, I had the surgery, which was 
very painful and really hard to recover from. It was like eight to 12 weeks for me to recover from, from the surgery alone. So we suspended my, my chemotherapy while I had initial recovery from that. And then I continued. So I finished my first round in May. But then I had refractory lymphoma, so it came back. Okay. So in, in May of 2019 or June, I found out that it had, it had returned. So I ended up having another series of, of three chemotherapies, um, of three chemotherapy sessions over that summer. And during that time, I also um, became part of a research study. And in the research study, I had two options. Option A would have been to have immunotherapy. That would have been the first option. And option B was to have a stem cell transplant. So that was if the three chemotherapy sessions didn't work. And so they aphoresed you. So they had to collect all of my my cells. So I went through that process twice. And anybody who's been through that, it's two very large IVs in each arm. And what happens is they take your, your blood out and it goes and spins around behind you in the centrifuge and they take the cells that they need. So it's either the T cells or the stem cells. So I had it done twice. So we had both collected and then it goes back into your arm on the other side. And, and it took me about four days to collect enough cells for the stem cell transplant. It was, I was so depleted at that point, you know, and I had had so much chemotherapy. Usually I think they can get them. they, They try to do it in one or two days, but yeah, it took me a full four days to get that. Oh, and it's very like, was it connected to you the entire time or were there like certain times throughout the day that they did through it? the day, right? So oh, you okay. go early in the morning and okay. you get connected and then, and they give you, um, you know, uh, drugs that spur the growth of the cells that they need. And those drugs have their own side effects and they can make you feel pretty terrible. But what, the, what happens is that it's sort of, um, you feel in your achy in your bones. It makes your bones because your bones are making more cells and those are the cells that they're going to collect. So it's this whole kind of process. And if they don't collect enough cells, then you have to go back in the evening like I did and they'll give you more shots to try to make more cells. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very, very difficult process. And you're sort of sitting in the bed for about six or eight hours collecting, having collected. And oh my goodness. yeah, poked and prodded at all poked and prodded yes and then surgery and the right and then back then back in so that was that was over the summer of 2019 and then I went back in for a stem cell transplant in October of 2019 so that is a whole different experience and it's one of the harder treatments that I had and there are a lot of later effects I mean I'm I still get tired I still have you know just problems thinking and things like that. But Mm -hmm. I was in the hospital for about three weeks for that treatment. And then this was pre-COVID. And so you have to be, you know, quarantined. And I was quarantined for about six to eight weeks, I think more like eight weeks. And it was just, I was just finishing up and, um, and I was able, and, and I had another CAT scan and my cancer had come back. So it came back again. So this is the second time it's come back. So third yes. time. Okay. Yeah. So the last treatment I ended up having was in January of this year. And I had immunotherapy. I had CAR T-cell treatment. And the CAR T-cell treatment, so far so good, has, has worked. So I was in the hospital for about another 10 days mm-hmm. in January. And then I got out. And that's when we pretty much had 
COVID started, you know, happening here. And, and in Massachusetts, we were particularly hard hit in the beginning. We are, we're hard hit now too, but yeah. in the beginning it was, it was, we were one of the places that was hardest hit. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I've kind of been inside now for Oh, over a year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like you definitely had the practice beforehand. Too. I did. That's and crazy. I had a lot. And, and, you know, I feel bad because I had a lot of masks too. <laughs> so when I left the hospital, so many masks. And they did, I don't think they knew they were going to need them. But, no. you know, oh people kept asking me like, I don't have any masks. I'm like, that's because I've got them all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm prepared. Yeah. Oh I had gosh. stuff. Yeah. Wow. So it was a, it was a long it was a long treatment and there's a lot of change that happens in that time. And I think that we all learn and we grow from an experience like that, but it certainly was a, a, a test of my metal and it was a test of my creativity and, and a test of, of my own um, sense of self. Yeah. And cancer is a big, big test of how you, how you feel about yourself, uh, what your, what your identity is and, you know, how you can conduct yourself in the world. And I think cancer changes a lot of that mm-hmm. and makes us look at things very differently. Yeah. I, I was just talking with somebody this morning about it. Um, her mom's had pancreatic cancer for 11 years, which is oh my insane gosh. that That's she's insane. still alive, but she basically does uh, chemo all the time. But um, it, it's definite, it's changed both her mother and the, the daughter, her, her viewpoint, and we we're just talking about how cancer just really makes you focus on the now and, and, you know, really appreciate day to day. And then also like, what can I do to better myself and to better my life? And, you know, what can I do to help other people as well? Yes. Well, one um, of my good friends died of pancreatic cancer uh, in 2015. Wow. And I, I look at her today as an example. She was a teacher in life and, and she was a teacher to me because she handled it with such grace and with such um, bravery. And I, I, I really look to her. And I think when I was in the hospital, those many times, you know, I probably was in the hospital 20 times, you know, over two years. And, you know, I think of her and I think of her as an example and I, and I, and I feel her close to me and I feel very lucky that I had her in my life. Yeah. Especially when I did. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's, it's amazing. The people that come into our lives, you know, whether they're there for a long time or just part of the time and everything like that, the lessons that we learn from them and how we can carry on, carry them on with us. And cancer, I think heightens that, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that like you, you, like you just said, it, it, it makes you live in the now and it makes you more aware of what's going on around you. Mm -hmm. And it makes you pay attention to so many of the smaller things that maybe you didn't really look closely at Mm -hmm. before you got sick or before you had this life change. I think it's not just cancer that does that. It's, it's major illness. It can be any sort of major life change that will, will Mm -hmm. do that. But I think that if you can take that opportunity and, try to look at yourself and your life in a different way. I think that's very helpful, Mm -hmm. you know, to just try and ground yourself. I mean, it's a very difficult time. I mean, I still don't know if, you know, my cancer could come back. I've been lucky so far. I consider, and I, and I say luck, I feel it's luck. I don't feel like I'm, I'm any superhuman or anything like that. (laughs) I just feel I was lucky. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, yeah. Yeah. Luck of the draw, I guess too. Like it's, it's, the treatment you get 
the type of treatment, you know, how well your body, how, how well you treat your body and your outlook. And you seem to have a, a really fantastic outlook and um, at least like your attitude that is exuding through the Zoom call. It just, you just feel, <laughs> I, I feel like a lot of positivity from you and a, and a lot of excitement coming out of um, the way you express yourself. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I feel so, I know this sounds crazy, but in many ways, I feel fortunate that this happened to me now. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been able to accomplish so many things. I, I felt, I think before I felt stuck in life to a certain extent okay. and I didn't feel like I had a purpose or a path. And I think after my treatment and and after starting the project, I, I really felt like there was there I could give something to to people. Mm-hmm. I felt like I had more to offer, and I and I really wanted to share that, mm-hmm. and and share my enthusiasm and my excitement for making things and staying active, and keeping our minds active. Even if maybe you have you're so sick that you can't move and you can't walk or you can't garden or do something that you loved you know, let's keep our minds active. Mm-hmm. If you can move your hand, you can, maybe you can, you can scribble or you can, you do know, do some, or something. yeah, or, or meditate or, mm-hmm. or some, and I did a lot of meditation when I was mm-hmm. in the hospital. You know, I would set aside time every day and whether I listened to a guided meditation or I met, or I did it on my own, I, I certainly had to do that for myself. And that kept me very grounded. And you know, being in the hospital for so many weeks at a time and for so many, so frequently, you know, I, I had a, a schedule when I was in the hospital. I mean, I knew I was, I was lucky. I was able to walk. So I made that time every day. I made a schedule for myself. I brought things maybe that I wanted to research or I wanted to learn about. And I, I really kept my mind busy. Mm-hmm. And I feel that was just key for me, you know, to keep myself thinking, keep myself as active as my body would allow and certainly keep my mind active. And I think that's so important, you know, when we're in that situation. Yeah, that's, that's it. I would say that's the kind of the first time that someone's expressed that in one of the interviews, like keeping your mind active. And even when you're in the hospital, having a schedule, like that's, that's, Mm -hmm so incredibly important and something that I didn't even think about, but you know, this is the time that I'm going to get them walk around. This is the time that I'm going to do my meditation or learn Spanish or something like that. I think that's, I think that's really good. It, it, it gives you a little bit of normalcy, but then it also mm-hmm. keeps you active and, and motivated, not just. Right. And I, and I think that what, <laughs> yeah, when we're, when we're plucked out of our own schedules, right. You know, and you're in the hospital environment and, and that's such a structured environment, right. Mm-hmm. Th- there's not a lot of room for creativity. There's not a lot of room for negotiation, right. <laughs> if, if you're a type A person and you're in the hospital, what are you going to do? Yeah. Right? I think as someone who is used to being highly scheduled, uh, that was how I managed that time. And I'm always somebody who's, who's active or busy or wants to do things. And I needed to, I learned quickly that I needed to plan my time and, and make the most of it. This was, this was time I wasn't in a way, you know, being, having the chemo and, you know, being hooked up to the machine, you know, and being tethered and sort of stuck in my chair a lot of the time um, during those sessions, you know, I needed to find something to do. So I'd make the movie time. I would make time to read certain books that I always wanted to read. I would reach out to friends. I would text or I'd call. Like there were just things that I would just 
schedule that time and it was so helpful to me. It gave me a purpose every day Absolutely. instead of just sitting there waiting for people to come in with meds and with IVs and yeah. with bags of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and that's, that's good. Like you said, it gives you a, a set of like a purpose. And, yes. and I think that's incredibly important for anybody that's in the hospital or anybody that's getting treatment. Yeah, and it gives you a lot of time to think. And you know, one of the things that I... I really thought a lot about is I'm, I'm interested in art and I'm interested in language. And I think a lot of us as, as, you know, cancer patients or cancer survivors or even caregivers are so used to the language that's used around cancer. You know, I could give you an example just what, a week ago, two weeks ago when Alex Trebek died. Yeah. And what do we always hear? You know, Alex lost his battle with pancreatic cancer, you know, mm-hmm. or he lost his fight with cancer or, you know, and, and I feel that that language is really negative because I think fighting in battles, that, that militaristic language implies that there's a loser. You know, when you hear the word fight, I always envision two boxers, you know, there's people fighting, right? You know, and that, to me, you know, cancer to me didn't feel, I've never been in a war. So I don't know what that feels like. I, and I've never really been in a fist fight. So I don't really know <laughs> what that's like. And, and, I, and I felt like that language was so short-sighted for the experience that I was having and, and was not congruent with the experience that I was going through. Mm-hmm. That when I started the project, I, I really wanted it to be sort of a visual metaphor to counter all of the language that I didn't agree with or I didn't feel was appropriate. And I think our language is just, I think our language is limited when it comes to illness and cancer and death and some of these large life issues. I think our culture just is limited or, you know, doesn't allow us a wider breadth of language Mm -hmm. for the experiences that we have. And, and I, I couldn't counter that with language, which is why I tried to counter it visually because I felt like maybe that there was something I could work with there. Okay, so so that's what inspired you is that 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 aspect. Yeah, part of okay. that. Yes, yeah, so that that was a huge part of it for me because okay. I I kept getting, you know, a lot of letters and emails and cards. You know, mm-hmm. you're a warrior, and mm-hmm. and that really bothered me because. You know, I, I just, I'm a regular person, you know, I'm, I'm just like your neighbor or I'm, you know, just somebody you might've seen in the supermarket that, you know, I'm not an extraordinary human being, but what I am is a creative person. And what I am is a very, you know, I'm, I'm, my powers of observation are very keen. And, and I started to take in all of this as it was happening to me. And I think as an artist, I just kind of started to process it. I was pretty lucky, actually, to be in a situation where I was an artist because I'm not sure how I would have dealt with that. Maybe I would have accepted that language, but instead I questioned it. And when I started to lose my hair, um, I think that was in January of 2018 when it first started to come out, and we ended up shaving my head at that point, um, when it, it was coming out in, in, in chunks. Oh, I had gosh. very long hair. I had long hair like, like your length, and, and we ended up, I ended up cutting it very short. 
Mm-hmm. And then it just started to come out after my second treatment in big, big chunks. Oh, and, yeah. and at that point, I was in the hospital for the major surgery. So I was lying in bed and, oh, and yeah. I turned my head on the pillow and it would be covered in hair. Oh, and, and I just said, I've got to do something about this. And I also, you know, had at, at times I had the nurses shave my head when I was, you know, if I was inpatient and it was really, com- it had grown back in and it was starting to come out again because I'd have bouts, um, I'd have like these, um, I'd had, I had the first six chemo treatments, but then you have when, you know, you have to wait until you can be scanned. And then I started more chemo. So my hair had started to grow in. Okay. So, so I'd be back in the hospital and I'd have some hair and it would be coming out. So I think what happened during those moments is that I started to really lose sense of my identity. Mm-hmm. And I was so wrapped up in my hair as part of my identity. And I didn't realize how much I associated myself with my hair. And I spent, especially, I think, you know, I'm not trying to, to sound like, um, you know, you know, like it's just because I'm a woman, but I think particularly because I was a woman and, and maybe because of my age, I, I felt very connected to my hair. I think there's plenty of men who feel very connected to their hair as well. So, I'm, or, you know, people, all people, but I, I in particular felt that as a woman, you stand out a lot when you don't have hair. And so I, I became very afraid of my appearance and I became afraid that I wasn't going to be able to accept my, myself and how I looked, because at that time I had lost my eyebrows, the hair on my head, and and most I think like, you lose all the hair in your body. Well, I did. Not everybody does, but I did. So I, I lost all my hair, mm-hmm. and it took me about six weeks before I could look in the mirror. I would I wear glasses, so I would go into the bathroom and I take my glasses off and to look in the mirror, and then I'd run back out and put my glasses back on. But <laughs> you know, I finally so I kind of started to look at myself blurry first to see yeah. if I can, and Baby I was, I, yes. And it was frightening. And so finally I did it and I stayed in the, the, the bathroom for like a half an hour and I just stared at myself and something, something really strange, but yet beautiful happened is that I started to see my head in a different way. I started to see it as like, as a possibility, as something mm-hmm. maybe I could work with as an artist. And you know, I'm like, what is, what's my solution here? I've got this problem. How can I solve this? And I started really, you know, with silly things. I started to put words on my head. I put like blonde on one side, brunette on the other, and, you know, like tattoos and stuff. And, you know, and, and I started to ask my partner, I, I quickly found out that it was hard for me to photograph myself. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm a portrait photographer, but I, I had a hard time photographing myself. Yeah. So I taught my partner, Tom, how to use the camera. And he took most of the pictures that you see in the project because oh, wow. I trained him and we, you know, we set up the shots and I sort of, art direct, but he's, he's working the camera. So, so that's what we ended up doing. And he was very willing to do that. And, and I think anybody who has cancer, if you have a buddy, you need a cancer buddy. And I, I've often offered myself to be a cancer buddy for other people if they need it, but you need a buddy and, and it's helpful to have somebody who's been through it. And I had my friend, Amy, who I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. and I also had my partner, Tom, who was so willing to participate in this project, not being an artist at all. So, so he would take pictures of me, but it, they were kind of falling short. I'm like, what's wrong? This is not quite what I'm looking for. And then I, <laughs> there's this phenomenon that happened to me. I don't know if it happens to everybody. I think it might. Um, 
when you have chemotherapy, people want to help you. And when you have cancer, people really, really want to help. Mm-hmm. And they don't really know how. Like, you know, mm-hmm. so, you know, as somebody like me who's a little bit type A, I, I said, you know, open my refrigerator and I see like all this pyros. I have pyros, I have soup, and chemotherapy makes it nearly impossible for you to eat. In fact, I went through, you know, weeks of eating nothing but like white food. I could eat cottage cheese. I couldn't really have milk, but I ate a lot of cottage cheese and toast because that seemed to be something I could keep down. And, and so, you know, so it was like this crazy time for me where I, things would smell terrible to me, foods that I loved. So, so I opened up the fridge and I, and, and and people would just come in the house and, and would leave stuff for me. And I just, you know, I can't eat this. It's nauseous thinking about eating it. I, I, I think it's so great that they have all this energy and they, they want to help me. So mm-hmm. what can I do with that energy? So, so that's how I thought of it was because I, I had friends who had energy and I'm like, well, what can I channel that into? What could be helpful to me? So mm-hmm. I think it's really important for people to kind of take ownership of this situation if you have cancer. And I, think it's the best time for you to say, you know what, this is what I want, or this is how you can help me. If you are not having your needs met and there are people who are eager to help you. And, and that's yeah. the situation that I was in. And I think mm-hmm. people want to feel good about what they're doing for you yeah. and, and they want to help. And I think you should let them help. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you need a community around you. Yeah. And so we should, you know, I think, I think kind of like, you know, if you, kind of ferret yourself away and you, and you stay out of, you know, your friendship circles and, and, and your culture there that, that, you know, you're not, you're doing yourself a disservice. This is a time when you really do need people and real where you need social interaction. But what I decided to do is give them an activity because I'm such an active person. You know, I, I thought, Oh, you know what, if I give them something to do, then we don't have to talk about cancer all the time. (laughs) Then we can kind of do something together. And so that's what happened. So people started to make me hair. And, and my initial thought was that, oh, I'll have them wear it, right? But I quickly learned that most people don't want their picture taken, which, well, I kind of knew that anyway. And, <laughs> and I kind of found out that I needed to be the model. So here I am, you know, at my most vulnerable. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do this because what am, canvas. Yeah, what am I, get, what have I got to lose, right? So I may as well just go do it. So people would leave things instead of pot roast on my porch, they would leave me, you know, materials or, or, or heads that were already made. And I would just, you know, think of what I could do with them. So it started really simply. My friend John made me out of pottery, a, a set of curlers, and we didn't even set up the camera. It was just sort of like a snapshot mm-hmm. and, and we didn't light it or anything. And it was just kind of like this, this funny picture. We all laughed and, and, and the piece was like, this was like 10 pounds oh and it gosh. left like dents in my head because it was, it was pottery. Like it, <laughs> so and I still have it. It's beautiful. And, and then like, it just kind of like went from there and then people volunteered to, to make things for me, or I would make you know, different pieces. Cause I make them too. And, mm-hmm. or people would leave me materials and, and then it became this really great sort of expressive activity. And I think what I later learned was that this sort of activity falls into an expressive therapy modality. You know, this is a, just, it was probably a, the perfect way for me to, to deal with this, but I didn't know it at the time. It just sort of came along organically, but, yeah. but it really was so helpful to me and it made it easier for me to communicate with 
my friends and my family because it gave us something else to talk about that was related to cancer, but not directly related to how are you feeling? You know, is there anything I can do for you? And, and I think when you, when you're treated, when you have a treatment as, that was as long as mine, yeah. you know, you get tired of people asking how you are, you know, you know, I would start to get angry and be like, well, well, how do you think I feel? You know, I feel like crap, you know, but I didn't have to answer those questions once people started to make things for me. And then I would invite them to come in and actually take the pictures. And not many people take me up on that. Anyone Mm -hmm. who makes hair is invited to come in and take the pictures and set up the photo shoots if they want to do that. But most of the time, Tom does it for me. And, you know, it's been great in it. And people seem to still find it funny and I'm glad. And, and as long as if people want to make things for me, I'll, I'm happy to wear them. I'm happy to try to figure try out how out. to wear them. <laughs> yeah. It's been a little bit difficult now because it's been harder for me to get clothes. I generally would go to the local thrift shops and go yeah. through racks of clothes to find things to wear. And it, it's helpful for me to see them. I mean, I can mm-hmm. order things, you know, online, but I really kind of like to see what, you know, the materials and that kind of thing. So it's kind of hampered what we've been doing, but I still have, I think I have three, three to shoot at this point. So oh, wow. we're trying to find. Yeah. I was looking at, at your Instagram yeah. and there's so many cool pieces that people have made for you or you've mm-hmm. done yourself and, and your photos are so fun. Like just not just well, a regular pose. Like you just like yeah. get into like the, the whole like theory of it or like what it, how it makes you feel and, and you're very expressive with, with it. It's just so fun to look through your, your photos. Well, I think that, you know, what happened was I, I lost my identity. Like I mentioned earlier, I really felt lost and I felt like I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I didn't really recognize myself. So I made a whole set of like alternate personalities for myself to take the place of the one that I felt I didn't have, you know, and I, I sort of filled that void just in the physical way. I filled the void of the hair with physical hair, but I sort of filled the void of, of, of feeling unmoored in terms of my identity by making up alternate personalities or basing them on people that I had met somewhere in my life. And, and, you know, my memory is terrible now. I really do have chemo brain. So sometimes I'm, when I'm putting together, you know, a photo shoot and I'm trying to base it on, on somebody, a lot of times it's somebody from the way past, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, my memory is clearer further back than it is, you know, last week or two months ago, I have a lot of trouble remembering, you know, really short-term things. Um, but I can remember long-term. And so I, I have a very good memory for faces and for personalities. So I would sort of bring that into it. And I also studied advertising. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, half of the, the other part of the project is sort of based in advertising. I mean, I love classic advertising. And I feel like my project is, it, it are like a series of ads that don't have headlines. Like, I just feel like they're just, you know, they could have been ads for something and, and I don't know what, but, <laughs> but I really feel like it's fashion, it's advertising and it's identity. And it's all kind of rolled into this, this one project for me. And I, I'm so proud that I was able to share that with other people and collaborate with other people because as an artist before, I, I, I didn't really collaborate. And I learned so much by doing that. There were so many more possibilities that became, you know, aware to me that I, I would have never thought of if somebody didn't, you know, leave a head of lettuce on my, my doorstep. Right. Oh my you know? Yeah. 
So, so that in that way, it really kept my mind moving and it kept me thinking and it kept my mind off of being sick. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, and that's such a, a cool collaborative effort to include people in. And then like you're saying, people are you're like, what can I do? How can I help? And, you know, first off, not everybody's willing to A, let somebody help them and then B, know what they need too. Like sometimes you just don't know what you need. And for, for you to be able to identify that is really cool and make something like really beautiful out of it. Yeah. I wanted yeah. to make people laugh and mm-hmm. I wanted to I wanted to make something joyful. I, you know, as a photographer, I'm familiar with so many great photographers who photograph, who have photographed cancer in a number of of ways. And, you know, photographing maybe their dying parents or photographing a, a, a friend who's dying. And, you know, I love the beauty in those pictures. And I thought, oh, you know, I'll document my own chemotherapy. But then I, I realized, you know, that wasn't me as a photographer, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I'm, I'm glad I figured it out. I mean, that just mm-hmm. was not my path. You know, I really wanted to, to go the other way. I mean, I, I love color. I love exaggeration and, and, you know, that really brought me alive and, and it, and it helped keep me feeling joyful and it helped me, you know, to express that to others. And I think that was so key that I, that I found the, the way for me to do it. And, and I think you have to experiment to find out what's going to work for you. And I also think that writing helps, even if you're not a writer, I didn't consider myself a writer, but I've written like over seven or 8,000 words about my experience or essays that have to do with different aspects of having cancer. And, you know, I didn't think I was capable of that, but once I started doing it a little bit at a time, it just sort of happened for me. And I, I can now like sort of look back at those and read those and, and see, you know, how I felt at the time. Like I said, my memory's not very good. So there, there are definitely facts. I probably am not, you know, uh, reiterating correctly because I don't remember everything, but at least I documented, you know, different aspects of it. And I, I think that's important. It's important to know where you were because it helps you to, to get somewhere else if you want to go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Yep. Get where you're going. Absolutely. Wow. And I I did read, um, your, okay. So there's an upcoming book. Is it like book of written word or is it a book of your the the hair your yeah, whole, well what, what I'm doing is we're kind of working with um you know with a I have a, a literary agent who uh, a friend of mine is an author and he said you know I think your work would make a great book so he put me in touch with her and I initially thought it was just going to be more of a picture book and I would talk a little bit about you know the different pieces and how they were made and how I arrived at the characters that I arrived at. But I started to do more writing and they became more interested in, in, in my writing. So it's probably going to be half and half. So I just submitted a whole new proposal about two weeks ago. So we'll see with, with about, like I was saying, like 7,000 words. So, so we'll see what happens and we'll see if, if that, that works. And I, I, you know, I'm hoping to, to work with them to make something that, people will enjoy, people maybe will feel some comfort or feel hopeful and, you know, have a combination of the pictures and, and then some of my, my thoughts about 
about having cancer, <laughs> which are probably different from other people's, I think, apparently. <laughs> you know, it was no party. And I know I sound really upbeat. It was really, really difficult. No, but, no. <laughs> but, I, but I really tried to, I, I would make myself smile even if, even if I felt horrible because I felt that you know, I'd be sitting in the chair getting chemo and, and I'm like, you have to smile. You have to smile because if, if you smile, I just, I don't know what, if there's research behind this, but I really feel like it changes all of your chemicals and that you start mm-hmm. to be more positive. You, if you just smile more. And I totally it, believe that too. Yeah. I think yeah. You, if you, if you admit that you'll feel that like you, you, you have to work at it and it's, it's hard, but but you can do it. And I yeah. think it's so important that we try to do that. Yeah. And, uh, it can turn your day around, week around, it really whatever. Can. It's, it's very easy to get stuck in a rut and to... Yeah. You know, I had someone upset. come up to me, like, I think this was last summer and I, and it was really hot and I had on, I was in the thrift store trying mm-hmm. to find clothes for this project. Right. And so I had on like a, a tank top and this woman, she looked like she was a hundred years old. But she came up to me and she tapped me on the shoulder and she said, I see you I see you have a port. I just want you to know everything's going to be okay. And I and I was stunned. And I sort of smiled and I, I'm like, this is just unbelievable. And and I said, thank you. She's like, you know, and then she asked me, you know, what kind of cancer do you have? My husband had lymphoma too, and you're going to be okay. And then she just sort of left the, the store and I never saw her again. But, but what, you know, what a kindness, you know, mm-hmm. to, to bring to me. And, and I, I remember that so distinctly that I try now to, to share that with others if I can. Mm-hmm. Because it really impacted me you know, when, you know, some, you know, just to have someone think of me who didn't know me and just, you know, mm-hmm. just want to give me their, their best wishes and, 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 you know, ask me how I was, you know, I, I thought that was so great. It is. It's, it, 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 it's kind of like all in the little things. And then also like, you know, getting that kindness from strangers and, and when people are kind to each other, it, it can turn everything around. Like it's just unexpected, like just a nice compliment from someone or like a smile or that nice old lady saying, you know, just asking about you and saying that everything was going to be okay. And I think it's just, it's just those beautiful little pieces that can, that can turn things around or, you know, pay it forward. It's that right there. Like it made you pay it, not made you, but like, you know, it, it encouraged you to pay for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And help somebody else. And, you know, just that, that little ripple effect can, can make all the difference. And I think that's so, so cool and so sweet of that little old lady. I know. <laughs> and I, one of the things that I, as an artist, I, I was doing before COVID and before I got cancer was I, I would, I'm doing a project about Cape Cod where I live. And I take pictures of, of people that I think are interesting for whatever reason. And I love people who are interested in style or have a different way, a, a different look about them that might not be something you would expect. So I photograph a lot of, you know, strangers, you know, and I would walk up to someone, start a conversation. You know, I had to have the camera. I'd tell them what I was doing and, and try to get their, their picture. And uh, on Saturday, you know, I, I don't, you know, I'm not doing that much now. So on Saturday, I was 
you know, walking through a parking lot, going to my car. And I saw this little old lady in, in a car. She was in the passenger seat and she was so tiny and she had these great sunglasses on. And I said, oh, I've got to just kind of, the, the window was rolled up. So I, I kind of talked to her through the window. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, you know, I'm 103 and a half. Oh my yes. And, and she, she emphasized that a number of times, the half. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I, and I'm like, that's so fabulous. I was like, oh my gosh. You know, and, and that was a whole new dimension for me. And she just, she was beaming at me. So I took her picture through the car, car window. You know, I couldn't, I wasn't going to move her. She's 103 and a half. I wasn't <laughs> going to tell her. She wasn't in the best light. But, but, I was, but she was just so tiny and sitting there with this smile on her face. And, and, and I think that, you know, I was, I'm used to sort of approaching people and talking to them. And I think that, you know, now I now feel that since I've had cancer, that's even more important for me to reach out to others. And, and I, who, you know, she, she, she looked to me like she was, she, you know, she was in her seventies, early seventies. I, I had no idea Dang. she was on I would right. have never guessed that. I've never met anybody who was a hundred before. Neither. Now you have. You know? <laughs> yeah. And it was just, it was just fabulous. So I think that, you know, you like I notice things I, more, mm-hmm. you know, I look for things more, I guess. And, mm-hmm. and I feel that the contact that I have with people is more meaningful than maybe it was before I had cancer. I think I took a lot of uh, interactions and a lot of things for granted. Mm-hmm. And, I, and many of us can say that about a lot of things. But I, but I think that cancer really heightens, heightened my sense of what's around me, what I'm doing, how active can I be, and how can I interact in a meaningful way with people. It just, yeah, just so much more depth now. Yes, it's, absolutely. It's definitely made, made you that way. And that's good though. It's, it's more meaningful than just scratching the surface or like um, looking at things at face value and cancer taught you that. That's, that's really amazing. Okay. So you mentioned you live in Cape Cod, side note. I, I lived in Cape Cod for a summer. Um, I worked for the Katua uh, Kettleers. Oh, for the Kettleers. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no what, what part of um, Cape Cod? I used to live in, well, I used to live in Centerville, so oh, I wasn't really far from the, from the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I now live in Yarmouthport, but, but oh, yeah. I've been doing many, many games. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah, I love yeah, the Cape State. League. Oh my God. It was, it was such a cool summer. It was a summer of 2008. So it was a long time ago, but I, yeah, I, I rented a room from this lady. And, and I would have been living in Centerville at that time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. It, I, was, I rented a room from a lady in Centerville and um, I still have so many good memories. So when you said Cape Cod, I was like, what? <laughs> I got so excited. <laughs> I know it's, it's just, you know, I, living in a community that's seasonal, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that we all here on the Cape become a little bit bipolar in that we're, we're always so much happy like even though like you know we love where we live and and sometimes we resent all the people coming all the tourism I think yeah. sometimes yeah sometimes like you know you do kind of like march comes around february comes around and and you kind of do like long for those summer days i mean yeah. you just kind of i do i long for the people and for the mm-hmm. summer you know and and i i miss them when they're not here yeah that's <laughs> definitely a cool energy on, on the cape I, I think my husband's actually supposed to be out there next week he he's a pilot oh, nice. but he flies people out oh, like out awesome. to cape cod often which is kind of cool yeah <laughs> But a special place in my heart for Cape Cod. So that's what oh, I was very excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess uh, you, you've told such an awesome story. Like what, um, as far as like art has kind of like increased your 
essentially wellness. Like, do you, do you recommend like anything else? Like what has worked for you? Like, you know, keeping your mind busy and uh, finding wellness through art and, and all these things. Like, do you do anything else? Like, are you, are you big on nutrition? Are you big on like- Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm probably not. I don't eat as well as I should because I still have terrible trouble with food. Mm. You know, I oh, I can really? eat really bad food easily, mm. but I can't eat good food easily. So <laughs> I can't eat lettuce. And I have a whole- I have a whole attitude about kale that I probably shouldn't share with you, but I got a lot, I got really tired of people like, you know, I, I had somebody give me a blender, right? <laughs> yeah. Does this have, I think this is something else. Another phenomenon that happens to cancer patients is that, you know, someone in your life is going to bring you a blender <laughs> and a big bag of groceries with kale sticking out of the top of it. And, and they're going to, and that to me, implies that if you had only eaten enough kale, this would not have happened to you. <laughs> I'm here to tell you that you didn't give yourself cancer and you're not going to heal yes. yourself with smoothies. Mm-hmm. You can enjoy them and you mm-hmm. can benefit from them, but yeah. they probably are not going to heal you. And um, so I, I did end up giving the blender away to the thrift store. We kind of oh. traded. I was about to say, did you trade for some clothes? Yeah, <laughs> we did. It was a really nice blender too, but but, I, but, they, but the blender made me angry. So, oh. so one of my things about about the you know this whole ordeal that you go through as a patient is to, to is to try to stay in touch with your feelings if you're angry you're angry yeah so i think you need to address that anger and i think you need to figure out what's making you angry and 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 people were stunned that i was angry about this blender and i and i wrote an essay about it too and and that really helped me think it through so i i i definitely urge people to even if you write a list or you write um, very simple things about how you feel mm-hmm. and what your day is like, I think that's really helpful in processing the feelings that you might have. I think feelings come up that are unexpected. At least that's what happened to me. Mm-hmm. So many things happened that were unexpected. I, I didn't know, nobody knows how they're going to handle cancer until they get it. Mm-hmm. And, and I found that you know, I, I was a long distance runner beforehand. Um, I can't run long distance yet, but you know, I, I ran, um, any opportunity I could when I was well enough. So chemo affects your, your lungs. It's Mm -hmm. very hard to breathe. So if I couldn't run, I would walk. I sometimes would run a hundred feet and then I would stop. And then I'd say to myself, I'd cry and I'd say to myself, oh my God, I used to be able to run 20 miles. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't do that now. And slowly I was able to to run and, and, and get back into doing that. But that mentally was very important for me. So I had to start walking. And then I started to, when I got stronger, you know, I started to do really simple work workouts in my basement and things like that, just to keep my body moving. Because along with your brain, I think it's really important to move your body. So if walking is something that's accessible to you and you feel that you can do that, you need to make a time every day to have your walk because it's so good for your, for your brain. And when I was in the hospital, you know, I was like the marathon walker, you know, I hear I went from being like a marathon runner to being the marathon walker. <laughs> and I was out there for, I would go out for like an hour in the hallways. So I'm walking around this hallway for like, I don't know, 50 laps, because right? it's not a big hallway. Right? The nurses are just like, <laughs> and they're like waving at me and stuff. And, 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 but it was just, you know, and, and they, 
and they didn't have to give me blood thinner because I was, I was, I was oh, walking yeah. so much. You did yourself a favor. Wow. Yeah, I did. It was one less shot. So yeah. I, you know, that was another benefit that was unexpected, but I was, I was really happy about that. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, find the thing that it, that makes you happy. If making dinner or cooking makes you happy and you feel you can do that and you can stand and you can move enough to do that, then I urge you to do that. Or, you know, even if, you know, it, if you can do, any sort of expressive activity. If you're home alone and, and you want to sing as loud as you can, you do that. You know, just an expressive activity that that brings joy to you. And we all have them. Maybe we don't talk about them and maybe it's just something we do when we're alone. Or maybe it's something that maybe maybe you enjoy singing with a friend. But but any of those things can be joyful and can be, you know, might not need a lot of physicality. You know, there are mm-hmm. things you can do that aren't physical. Certainly meditation. You know, if you if you have to be still, you can meditate. And also, you know, just scribbling or even writing a list of words that come into your head, like some automatic writing. I think that's also really helpful just trying to get in touch with where where you are and how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. And and it and it is an activity. I think at one point you know, in the hospital, I wrote down like a hundred words. Okay. That's a little excessive, but you could write five, yeah. you know, and, and see what words come up just automatically, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think any of those things are, are helpful. Absolutely. It's, it's a, a coping and a healing um, activity too, because it, a lot of the times you don't know how much you might be struggling or how you feel until it comes out. And to be able to identify that I think is huge. And I know talking with um, with my husband about um, like how quickly my cancer was found and basically cut out of me. Um, it was such a quick process. Like neither of us were really able to um, to, to deal with it, to identify, to talk about it, to you know like cope with it. And it just it came out raw one time. And it's just like wow, we never really we never talked about this. We never wrote it down. We never we never did all this. And I, I think it's truly important to be able to heal both inside and out, both mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally. Um it just to allow you to do that. And I, I think writing or some sort of expressive activity is really important for everybody. So, I think it's really important what mm-hmm. you point out that time is definitely something that will help you in your healing. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't feel the same way I felt when I was diagnosed, right? You know, that shock is over, you know, but it took me a really long time to process that Mm -hmm. shock. Mm -hmm. And I still feel echoes of that, you know, when I become afraid of something or I have nightmares at night. But I think that, you know, what happens to us is that we need to give ourselves that time. And sometimes it just kind of comes out. And I would find that, like I was saying earlier, like I had this, this anger in me and I, and I, I wasn't sure. And then was sure that I really didn't know how angry I was until like somebody would say something that would be like a trigger for me. Mm -hmm. And then I I would snap at them. And that still happens to today. So I'm sorry if anyone's listening and I've snapped (laughs) at you because sometimes I just, there's just some of those things, like somebody called me a warrior the other day and I just like lost it. But I had to acknowledge that a, that was something that is triggering for me and B that I had to acknowledge that I have that feeling. Mm -hmm. And then I did apologize to the person, but you know, you sometimes you just don't know how you're going to react Mm -hmm. to things. And I certainly feel that uncertainty 
mm-hmm. to this day. And, and yeah. I probably always will have that sensitivity around cancer and treatment and, mm-hmm. and the language associated with it. Yeah, you're, you're not the first person who, who mentioned that in one of my interviews. I was, I was speaking with Dr. Anitha maybe like a month or so ago, and she said the same thing about like that, that language behind like battle, warrior, fight, everything. And it's just like, I never really thought about it. And it, now I'm, I'm very much hyper aware of it. But it's just almost like that language was created and now it's just like um, that, that, I guess, verbiage or whatever. People don't know what else to say or how else they, to exactly. say it. So like, I'm, like in my brain, it's just like I'm kind of racking my brain. Like how else can I express this? Like not a battle, but it's a, you know, like all these different things. And it's just... It certainly is a challenge. Yeah. Right? It's, it's kind of been fed that, you know, that language has been fed to us for so long. That's just kind of all we know. And it's just like being able to change the, the conversation or just change that, that vocabulary to something else is, is definitely challenging. But I think it's important. I think it's really important that we think about that and we think about the language that we use with cancer and with illness and with death. Mm -hmm. I think that if somebody dies, they die. Let's Mm -hmm. acknowledge that they've, they're, they're not with us anymore. I mean, the euphemistic language of, of warrior, of fight, of battle, of you're my hero. I don't think a lot of us feel that way. A lot of us who've gone through cancer. I, and, and I think that What's good is to just sort of skip the language and, you know, get to the point of what you want to know. If you're talking to someone who has cancer, you know, I like to ask people what they're doing as opposed to what what they're feeling. So like, how are they feeling? So I'm like, you know, what have you been doing lately? You know, I know you've not been, you know, you've been getting treatment, you know, you know, I try to leave it open-ended and let people tell me. And then, then if they're not doing anything or they feel stuck, I try to like offer, you know, help in that way. Or if somebody, like I said, wants a cancer buddy, I try to like offer myself or if they want, you know, want me to go to an appointment with them, I'm happy to to do that. But, Mm -hmm. but I think that I, I really try to focus on the activities, you know, I saw you out walking the other day, or have you been able to go out for a walk? You know, that sort of thing. I try not to, to, elevate what they're going through. Mm -hmm. And I try to make it more conversational and let's talk about other things. Like I might even start off with something else. You know, I know you're not, they're not well, but I might start with something else. And I, and I think that, you know, you can get back to that. People will tell you what they want to tell you. If they need to get it out, they'll, they'll get it out. But I, but I think that the language around cancer really can make people uncomfortable. You know, and I, I just, you know, especially warrior, I think that really rubs me the wrong way. And, and I'll tell you that the person I was talking to the other day was not, not someone I knew very well. And I explained to her how I didn't, I didn't agree with that language. And she said, well, to me, you're still going to be a warrior. Anybody who's been through cancer is a warrior. And, and, I, I, and I said, well, you know, I'm not going to win this battle. No pun intended. But, <laughs> but, you know, it's hard to change people's thoughts. We, we have this reinforced everywhere, you know, mm-hmm. except maybe at the hospital. I think uh, doctors in particular are very aware of that language, mm-hmm. uh, at least in my experience. Mm. And I've had this conversation with my own oncologist and, and he hates that language too. Yeah. But it's just, just think about the, the language as, as limiting. It's very limiting. If you're just saying hero and warrior and battle and fight and war, that's limiting. Mm-hmm. 
And, and we have other ways that we can express that. And maybe there's some way inside of you that, that feels more true than using those really hackneyed overused metaphors. I think we can do better than that. Thousand percent. Completely yes. agree. Yeah. Well, just keep on trucking and, and trying to change that those limiting that limiting language. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, you know, some people aren't gonna change their way, but it's okay, just don't say it around me then. <laughs> right. Just don't use it with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I, I keep looking behind you. I know it, this is a podcast, but I see some mm-hmm. of your your hair and back the there. Best. Are those and some of your favorites? The ring as well. I, I know it's on well, the actually, those are, but I, I just have want things that are heavy that are bigger than I can't Thank you again for listening. Stay tuned next week for another My Cancer Story I have like a funny one here that I have not worn yet. That someone made for me. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. I know we're on a podcast, but you'll see it soon. But it's orange. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm guessing. So in my brain. also made me a mask. And I don't know if you can, you probably can't read it. It's hard to read. This is an artist who makes masks. Oh my gosh. And this is her art form. Oh, that's and, beautiful. And it says, it says I lie on it, but um, it, it's meant to be hard to read. And, oh my uh, gosh. Yeah. So I get different kinds of things from people. And, mm-hmm. and this artist really just has a whole, um, she's got hundreds of masks that she made and I'm really honored that she made this one for me. So I, you know, I'm going to do my best to wear it and, and, and express myself through it. Yeah. I can't wait to see the pictures. It's going to be, yeah, I hope it it comes out good. (laughs) Yeah. But but expressing yourself, that's so Mm -hmm. important. Express Mm -hmm. yourself. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, if you have cancer and you're holding in these feelings, you really need to express yourself. And this is the time to do it. This is the time, you know, I think that we have, you know, a lot of people might feel like, you know, they don't want to direct people or, or be too assertive, but I think it's okay. And I think if you can find the language that's gentle and direct, you know, with someone that, you know, you should do that and you should use, use that and, and, and make it a learning experience for yourself. You can, you need to be very assertive when you're sick unfortunately, sometimes that's when we learn to be assertive. There's a lot of questions you have to ask. There's a lot you need to learn. And, and sometimes I think, I think for me, the experience made me more assertive and made me, um, able to communicate better with others. That's, that's a beautiful takeaway. That's, that's solid, great advice, being able to express yourself and then also like be assertive when you need to be and kind of, it's, it's a trend. It's being your own advocate and cause mm-hmm. you know, not, not everybody's going to be there for you all the time. So you, you have to know the questions to ask and ask the right questions and stand up for yourself. Yes, you do. And, and go get a second opinion. <laughs> yes, definitely get a second opinion. And it's very difficult, but speak, speak up. If you yeah. have a question, if something was explained to you and you don't mm-hmm. understand it, mm-hmm. ask again, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, there, you know, you get so much thrown at you and, mm-hmm. and so much of it is something that are things that your oncologist probably says multiple times a day, stop mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. ask them to explain them in depth. If you don't understand them mm-hmm. and don't Google stuff, Oh God! don't, don't <laughs> do the Googling. Don't mm-hmm. do that. Listen, get your second, get a second opinion and listen to, to your doctors, listen mm-hmm. to your team. Mm-hmm. They know. Absolutely. Well, it, I guess I don't even know what time it is. Oh, it's been about an hour. Yeah. Awesome. Wow. I feel like we covered so much. Was there anything else that you wanted to add or 
definitely how can we find you? How can we follow you? Oh, oh, sure. And everything like that. If you want to see all of the pictures, they're all on Instagram at can you make hair? I think it's, yeah, Instagram is can you make hair? And I also have a website, can you make hair for me? And right now at Leslie University uh, online, there's, um, I have a, a virtual exhibition and it's a collaboration that I did with um, expressive therapy students. And I can give wow. you that URL. I did it. Yeah, um, that'd be great. I did it last year and um, hang on, I'm trying to put it in the chat. Sorry. Mm. I didn't copy it properly, but you can see my collaboration with them there. Mm-hmm. And that'll be up until January, which is nice. And then I'll have another physical, uh, a virtual and a physical show at Creighton University in Omaha. So hopefully there'll be an online version of that. I believe I'll do an artist talk and, and um, that will be happening in January as well. Oh, and if anyone wants to make hair, you know, they can message me on Instagram. If anyone knows of a venue that they think would be interested in showing the work, I'm happy to, to set that up and work with you on that. Or, mm-hmm. um, anyone has a space and, or a virtual space that even, and they, they, they want to share this with other people. I'm just, I just want to get this to people who would benefit from it, feel joyful from it mm-hmm. and really try to make somebody's day from making myself kind of silly. So, <laughs> you know, if you know of a place that would be interested in, in showing the work, I'm happy to discuss that with you. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. So it's such a unique and Hopefully we'll outlet. have a book. I don't know yeah. yet. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm excited <laughs> about that. Keep us, keep us posted about the book. Cause I definitely I will. Would love to, to see and read it. So Thank yeah, you. anybody out there, if, if you, if you have a space or um, a medium to, to get Eileen's work out there and her beautiful photographs and, 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 um, can you make hair for me out there? That would be fantastic. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you, Jess. This, is, oh my this has been great. I appreciate mm-hmm. that the, yeah. the service that you do for people with cancer and how you know you reach out and you have all of these stories. And I think that's so helpful. Mm-hmm. It was you know it's helpful for me to listen, and I mm-hmm. I just feel that that's such a great service that you're doing. Well, thank you, and thank you for joining me. And it, it's learning about you and, and what you're doing is just so unique. And it, it, like you said, you know, brings joy. So it brings joy to you and you're, you're touching all these, all these people out there. And I think that's so fantastic what you're doing as well. I hope so. Yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for being here and enjoy the rest of your evening. Try to Thank you so much. Like I that. really appreciate it. And I am so glad I was able to be on the show and, and oh, it was so yeah. nice to meet you. Thank it was you wonderful much. to meet you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode today. Once again, to find Eileen Powers work, you can follow her on Instagram at can you make hair. You can also go to her website. It's www.canyoumakehairforme.com. There you can find her a little bit more about her collaborative art project, as well as uh, the different exhibitions that she has currently and in the future. So like what she's saying, uh, currently she has a virtual exhibition at Leslie University and future exhibitions are going to be at Creighton University and then Artoma to the Art of Cancer. To learn more, once again, just visit her website, www.canyoumakehairforme.com. Once again, guys, thank you for joining me for this latest episode of My Cancer Story Podcast. Stay tuned next Monday for a brand new episode. And once again, I will be doing an episode every single Monday for the rest of the year. And stay tuned early next year for season two. Thanks. Have a great week, everyone. And happy Thanksgiving.